Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. All right, why don't we stand for the honor of the word? We've got a special speaker lined up for tonight. I brought him all the way in from Heartland, Wisconsin. He's been here before. You know him quite well. Come on, son. Come up and give us what God's put on your heart. Well, praise God. Isn't it good to be here on Wednesday? Man. You know, we were joking on Saturday. All these incredible speakers we had, Brother Scott Graham, Brother Treese, and, and Brother Booker, and I, we were just feeling so bad for the pastors that had to go back and follow it up on Sunday. Well, here, here we are, no Sunday. You guys got me, so we'll have some fun tonight. So, perfect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a reading in, in Mark chapter 5. We can turn our, our Bibles to Mark 5 and, and verse 21. Praise God. I'm excited to talk with you tonight. I've, I've got a hunger for the word that I've never had before in the last 12 months or so, and our young people will affirm that with being pretty late on our services here on Wednesday night a couple of times, but I'll watch the clock here tonight. We're going to start in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. It reads this way. It says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship onto the other side, much people gathered unto him, And he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Powerful word, she shall live. And I'm going to skip ahead down to 35. Verse 35 reads this way. It says, Well, he yet spake... There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Can you imagine hearing those words from Jesus himself? Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. And just for a few minutes, I want to talk about stepping out. Stepping out. Let's put our Bibles down and ask the Lord to to have his way tonight. Jesus, I pray that you would have a divine appointment with us in this service, God. I ask for the Holy Ghost to have its way. 
Jesus, I pray that you would move me aside, God, and allow me just to be a, a vessel, God, just a bridge between your word and your people. God, help us to know you more. Help us to rightly divide your word and hide it in our hearts, God. Jesus, do what exactly you want to do tonight. In Jesus' name, Jesus. We can be seated in the presence of the Lord. This passage of scripture is always fascinating to me, specifically for this reason, because we have to understand who Jairus is. The Bible describes him as a ruler of the synagogue. And sometimes that could be misunderstood as, as a rabbi or, or a priest or somebody of that nature. It's actually not the case at all. I did some digging on this. The ruler of the synagogue is responsible for the prayer schedule. He's responsible for the upkeep of the building. He's an administrator of sorts. He, he would make the announcements. This is a very important duty. When, when there was a holiday on the Jewish calendar, he would keep the calendar and, and explain that to people. He would, his entire life was based on routine. His entire occupation was built around schedules, organization, protocol, status quo. You get the idea. And it wasn't until he stepped out of his routine and his schedule and his organization that God did a miracle in his family. You see, he had to face the fact that his routine was not healing his daughter. His, his scheduled services, his scheduled prayer time was not making a difference in, the, in this sickness that his daughter had. He had to get out of routine. In verse 21, it says that there were much people there to hear Jesus. There were, there were tons of people as he, as he approached this, this area, as he, as he arrived on the ship. There was a whole crowd there, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But on that day, there were only two people that were at the feet of Jesus. And not coincidentally, there were only two miracles that day. Only two people at his feet, but only two miracles. Only two people that stepped out. And you'll see this throughout Jesus' ministry. There's, there's many instances in which these, these crowds gather to hear him speak. And for everyone, their own purpose. I would venture to say that some came to see something miraculous, but I would venture to say that there were others that perhaps were skeptical. They came to inquire if Jesus really lived up to this reputation, this word that was, that was spreading. They came to kick the tires on Jesus, so to speak. But there are a select few throughout the Gospels that, that step out from those crowds and Jesus touches them in a miraculous way. These weren't the people that were there to kick the tires. They weren't the people that were there to, to skeptically oversee what was happening. They weren't the people that were there to condemn Jesus. They were the people that were there specifically to get a healing or a touch from the master. They were the people that believed that he was a healer. They were the people that, like Jairus, that believed he could do something miraculous in his family's life. And why does Jesus do these miracles for those that step? Why, does he, why those people? Because the very act of stepping out is an act of faith. It's a demonstration of faith. It's a work, albeit. But the book of James tells us that Abraham's faith was made perfect by his works. The fact that he prepared an altar to sacrifice Isaac, the fact that he actually built it, that he gathered the wood, that he, he prepared the sacrifice, his faith was made perfect. And, and Jairus does the very same. He steps out in, in, a, in a way of courage and in a demonstration 
And Jesus does the miraculous. Notice verse 40. It says, they, they laugh him to scorn. That's a lot of laughter <laughs> comes to mind. They, they laugh him to scorn. You see, there was no faith among these people. And if you, if you look into it further, these people were actually paid grievers. This was a, a commonality in, in that time that when, when somebody passed away, there were people that were, were compensated. It, was an, it wasn't uh, dishonest. It was an act of respect. They were compensated to come and grieve and cry and wail. And it was an act of respect for the, the person and the family that had passed on. So these people, their routine, right, their schedule was very common to be around dead people that, frankly, didn't get up and start walking, right? They were around dead people all the time. And they had no faith. They, they had so little faith that they mocked Jesus to his face. So what does Jesus do? I love this part. He, he kicks them out. Get out. Right? For those of you that don't believe, you don't get to see. And it goes further. He doesn't just not let them see the miracle. He doesn't not let them experience it. He tells everybody in the room, which is the father and the mother that stepped out originally in faith, and then a few disciples, not even all of them, a few of them. He says, don't tell anybody what just happened here. <clears throat> he charged them straightly, it says, that no man should know it. Why would he not allow that? Because only the people that believed got to know the miracles of Jesus. Only the people that stepped out, that, that believed in faith. Jesus will place us out of the way of his miracles if we reject him and if we refuse to demonstrate faith. There's a, there's a nuance in the Bible that I've, I've been fascinated with and it goes all the way back to Jesus' very first miracle at the, the wedding. It says that only the servants knew that that water was water. The governor had no idea that it was water when he started pouring it. Only the servants that, Ma that Mary charged him, she said, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. And those people that were obedient and did what they were told, they were the only ones that knew the miracle of Jesus. Everybody else was oblivious. See, Jairus steps out of his routine and, and what am I trying to get across tonight? It's so easy to become routine. It, it's so easy to get caught up in our schedules. Right? And, and when we have a need, it's, well, I, you know, I prayed at family prayer. I prayed for a whole 10 minutes in our 10-10-10 service for a need that my brother or sister has. I have a devoted 30 minutes of prayer in the morning. And, and thank God for that. Thank God for systematic and diligent prayer. But this is my schedule. This is when I pray for needs. And what I'm, what I'm asking tonight is what happened to wrestling with God until the daybreak for a blessing like Jacob did? What happened to stepping outside of what we always do? And, and let me say this, everybody's at a different place. You might be the person that's on your face before God an hour every morning, but if you want to go to a new place with God, it takes something else, right? Praise God for that walk you have. Praise God for the, the place you are in the, your relationship with Christ. But where does he want you to go next? What are you willing to step out to do? What do you need from God that you're willing to make a change for? If you need a miracle in your family, if your children or your loved ones are lost, 
Well, you know, how long does it take to get out of routine and structure and complacency and just get to the feet of Jesus and cry out to him? Do something to seek his face that we've never done before. I could think of so many examples. Am I willing to give up my TV show on, on a weeknight? Could I give up an hour just to pray like I've never prayed before? Here's, here's one that gets me. You ever, you ever be in the car, you're driving down the road, and you just feel the Holy Ghost all around you? And it's overpowering. It just happened to me recently. And, and how many times do I not pull over to the side of the road and just give God my worship and my undevoted attention? I so regret how many times I haven't done that. Are we willing to step out of where we have to go or get to? I've heard about people getting up out of their bed in the middle of the night because they, they feel someone pressing on their heart to pray for and, and to pray a covering over. Look what happens. Here's a perfect example. Look at Abundant Life Church. Look what always happens during these months of fasting and consecration. I've seen some incredible things happen at this very altar when this church got behind the idea of fasting and doing something different and stepping out in their faith for God. I've seen people at this altar crying out that I've never seen do that before in those months of fasting. God always responds when we step out in faith. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's long-suffering, right? Praise God. Everyone at this, this event, this arrival of Jesus, they, they watch and they crowd. But only Jerry, or Jairus excuse me, falls at his feet. And here's what gets me about Jairus, right? Because let's think about this. There's all these people around. There's this crowd of people. And he just doesn't care who sees him. He doesn't care who hears him. He doesn't care how embarrassing it is. He just needs Jesus. I believe there is so much power in that level of humility. Praise God. I think pride is one of the most dangerous things in the world. I tell our young people all the time, this might be an opinion, but pride is the root of all sin. You start to think about it, it really is. And it's so interesting how so many of these people in the Bible will abandon their pride, especially when it's for their children or their loved one. When you start to look at these instances, there's so many, the, the Syrophoenician woman, the, the demoniac boy, Jairus, right? It's for the sake of their children, for the sake of their child. And, and look how far along we are, right? Jairus doesn't even make it home with Jesus before the girl dies. How long does he wait how long does he try other things? How long does he watch this happen before he can swallow his pride and fall down at the feet of Jesus? She dies before he gets there. And, and even on the way to Jairus' house, there's the woman with the issue of blood. We, you notice we, we skipped a few scriptures. That, that whole other thing happened, right? Jesus does a miracle on the way to do a miracle. What a God we serve, Right? But for 12 years, you know, you know the story, for 12 years she suffers. That's a long time. I have never done anything for 12 years. <laughs> I haven't even had a haircut last 12 years. The, the, the Bible doesn't tell us that she never prayed about it. It doesn't say that specifically, but it does say that she spends all that she has and she tries everything modern medicine could do. She, she seeks every physician and tries every remedy. 
until she finally had enough. And she finally, after 12 years, she's willing to swallow her, her pride as was willing to crawl on her hands and knees to get a touch from Jesus. The youth students will laugh about this because I, I bring it up a lot because I'm probably un, undiagnosed OCD. But the fact is, is that when you think about the streets in the time of the Bibles, they weren't paved cement, right? There weren't, there weren't street cleaners cleaning up the, the roads. My understanding is there were chamber pots dumped on the street. There's animals everywhere. The streets are filthy, right? These aren't places you want to be crawling. But this woman finally had so much of this ailment, this, this disease that afflicted her, that she was willing to do anything, even if it meant crawling through the filth and the muck just to get the hem of Jesus' garment because she believed so strongly what he could do. He, she believed with all of her heart that Jesus was a healer and that if she just touched the hem of his garment, the lowest part of his clothing, so that she could be healed. Pride is so dangerous because it separates us from God. What would he do and, and heal in our lives if we got so humble that we would crawl to his feet and cry out like we never have? And it's the same scenario. Matter of fact, it's probably the same crowd. There, there's this whole crowd that she is fighting through, but there's only one person crawling. And here's what's incredible about it. He notices right away. He says it feels the virtue come out of him. And he says, who touched me? And, and the disciples, they're, they're not terribly bright sometimes. They mock him, right? And they say, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's a whole crowd of people. They're, everyone's touching you. But he knows who really touched him. He, he knows who really was there to get something from Jesus, who was willing to bow down before him. He knows who was there to get a touch. She stepped out, or in this case, crawled out, and, and she's healed immediately. It says that she's in amazement that so quickly, as soon as she touched that hem, that that issue of blood was gone in her. It doesn't matter who else is crowding around. Jesus always notices. And here's the thing. God doesn't need much time. You don't have to step out for months on end. You don't, you don't have to do something different, crawl to the feet of Jesus for, for, for years on end. He, he needs the blink of an eye. All she did was crawl that one time after 12 years. All she did was get to the feet of Jesus the Savior after, after all those years, and in an instant, she's healed. Jesus can do it instantly. I'll read another passage from Matthew. Matthew chapter 15, I'm gonna to turn to in, in verse 21. <clears throat> Matthew 15 and 21 reads this way. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, Help me. And he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. 
And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. That's not how we're accustomed to Jesus talking. We're not accustomed to Jesus giving the cold shoulder and, and calling people dogs and insulting people. Why, why is he so harsh? Why does he, why does he treat her so disrespectfully? And let me explain something. Jesus is God. Those of you who don't know that, that's the first time hearing it. You're welcome. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He's, he's the alpha and the omega, right? He's, he's the beginning and the ending. He knows full well that his spirit was gonna be poured out on the Gentiles long before Peter ever goes to Cornelius' house. So why does he treat her that way? He's creating a barrier for her. He's creating a barrier that only persistent faith can overcome. He's creating a barrier that she has to step out to get around. And he wants to see how great her faith is. He's testing her to step out. And here's a sidebar that I find kind of interesting. A Jew has no business being in Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is where Jezebel comes from. The Jews considered it cursed. It actually, it's, it's, it's prophesied in the Old Testament that God would judge the city. There is no reason somebody should be ministering there. But here is Jesus walking around. Why is he there? Because Jesus loves to get glory out of worthlessness. Jesus loves to get glory out of the worst places. Something I've been thinking a lot about is how Jesus loves weakness. Let me tell you that every weakness you have, oh, God loves it. Brianna and I were just talking about this the other night. We were talking about Abraham. Abraham strong. He can, he can create lineage with, with anyone, the Bible tells us. But he's got to pair him with Sarah, the barren woman. He's got to pair him with weakness so that he can get glory when he creates the nation of Israel. God loves weakness so much. And if you're from a disaster of a situation, you're from a place like Tyre and Sidon, you're from some place you're ashamed of. You've done things, been places you're ashamed of. Let me tell you, God loves that so much because there is no greater glory than when he uses weakness in a mighty way. Praise God. <clears throat> Praise God. I've had these thoughts myself before about, about weakness. And everyone, everyone's self-critical, but, but admittedly, I, I've never been naturally athletic, <laughs> never been all that charismatic, average intelligence, and maybe that's, maybe that's optimistic. <laughs> but I'm so thankful for every weakness God put in me because that's just more glory. That's just more humble I can be. That's just more that he can take and use for his kingdom because God will never use something or do something where he gets no glory. Praise God. So here's Jesus in Tyre and Sidon. And he's silent. He's not saying a word. Or she's, and, and she says it right away. It's, it's not for me, Jesus. It's, it, I need help for my, you know, for my daughter. <clears throat> and he says nothing. 
She steps out further. That's her response. It's easy to go home. Well, some Jesus this is, right? Some, some healer this is. He hasn't even talked to me. Self-righteous, right? Arrogant. He, he won't even say a word back to me. But she steps out further. It says, then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Her response when she doesn't hear anything from Jesus is to go worship. Just let that sink in. When God doesn't respond immediately, when there's a silence, how do we respond? I know my tendency is to become the fixer, right? I'll, I, I think I can handle this. I think I can fix this on my own. God's not doing anything. I'll take care of it. It's what Abraham did. I'll fix it. I'll fulfill God's promise for him. She worships. It makes me think of the day of Pentecost. There was silence in Jerusalem. This fascinates me. They, they were instructed to wait. I don't know about you, but I, I'm really not a fan of anticipation. But here Jesus gives us this instruction to wait for this ambiguous amount of time. He says a little while. Just go wait for a little while. Well, that means everything. <laughs> a little while could mean no time or a lot of time. It means things to different people. But they go anyways. They're obedient. They go to Jerusalem and they wait. But they didn't just wait, they worshiped. They worshiped when Jesus was silent. And we know what happened that day, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But here again, the Syrophoenician woman, she, she cries out to Jesus. She has completely abandoned her pride. She doesn't care what they think of us. Because here's the thing, people start to think things. The disciples, again, remember I said they're not very bright. They're not very bright. The, the disciples start to get prideful. And, they, and their words are, she's crying after us. She's bothering us. Tell the paparazzi to get away. She, she's cramping our style, right? She, it's too much. They get prideful. Well, they, they learn their lesson later because they're trying to cast out that demon and Jesus says, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And he chastises their unbelief. No prayer, no fasting. How do we know that the disciples have trouble with those things, just like many of us do at times? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they fall asleep after an hour, they ask Jesus, teach us to pray. They're, they're not prayer warriors yet. They're not starting churches yet. So they're thinking bad things. They're, they're, they're judging, as the world says today. Right? They're, they're looking down, at, down their nose at her. She doesn't care at all. She doesn't care what anyone else thinks. She just starts to worship. And why would she do that? Because she needs a touch from Jesus, from the miracle worker. And she, and she knows that he is able and she believes it. How often do we do the opposite? How often do we tell ourselves, I, you know, I, I really can't cry out at the altar. People will think there's something wrong. Oh, there's something wrong. What kind of problem does that person have? That, that's the first thing. People will think, I, I can't do that. Right? I've been around here a long time. I'm supposed to have this figured out. I'm supposed to have everything down pat. I can't make a mess of myself. I can't dance before the Lord. I'll look like a buffoon. That one's specific to me. <laughs> I don't dance well. 
but I can't, people will, people will judge me. People will think I just want attention. How many, how many of us are guilty of that? Well, that person's running the aisles. That's pretty quick to be running. That person's looking for attention. They might just be crying out because they need something from God that they've never got before. Someone's at the altar of God. We ought to never look down at them if they are slobbering and making a mess of themselves. They might just be doing something they've never done before because they got to get something from God that they've never got before. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. We shouldn't hesitate to do that. Blind Bartimaeus does the same thing. I won't read the passage tonight, but he cries out inconsolably and repeatedly. And the crowd hushed him then. They said, be quiet. Be, tell him to be quiet. He, he's, a, he's bothering us. Jesus is here. We're trying to hear from him. We're trying to work with him. Tell him to go away. But he had no pride to lose. And Jesus heals him in that very moment. He got a miracle and delivered from a lifelong affliction, that blindness. All he could do was beg. All he could do was beg for sustenance. It's the faith of a child is what it really comes down to. The child will relentlessly cry for his parents when he's in need because, because he knows if he cries hard enough, mom or dad will come running. We found out recently that puppies will do the same thing. <laughs> they, will, they will bark and bark until somebody comes running. But they believe in their heart of hearts, almost subconsciously, I've heard it said, they know it in their knower that that parent will come and will rescue them. This woman's cry and her persistence make her faith perfect. She steps out for Jesus and he, and he gives her a miracle. Jesus, Jesus says, or she, what she says to Jesus, she finds the only fault. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. The crumbs are so much greater than anything else this world has to offer. The crumbs of Jesus, praise God. Jesus, I'll be a dog if it means that you're my master and I can be blessed by you. And then she, she feels, that's how she's explaining that her daughter's healed that very hour. What are we doing to make our faith perfect before the God of miracles? If you believe that he's willing and that he's able to be a healer, to be a saver, to, to do whatever it is that your need is. If you, got, if you have a sickness, there's cancer or disease or, or, or that exists in somebody you love, which I think is about everybody. What are we doing? Are we desperate enough to cry out, to humble ourselves? Are we sick of the world taking our children from the Lord? We have our, our prodigal project. Are, are we tired of the enemy having victory over our family? Are we sick of the animosity and relationship problems that are so prevalent. I'm excited about this Holy Ghost revival. I think it's called the brother Josh Herring is, is going to be doing here this summer. I happen to be listening to a, a sermon he was talking about, and, and he's at another church talking about problems and, and animosity and relationships and, and bitterness that people have in the church, how prominent that is. We got we to humble ourselves and get at the feet of Jesus and get those things taken care of. Are you sick of the financial disaster you're in? Step out, get out of the routine, get to the feet of Jesus. Do something you've never done before. I want to encourage us that God still responds to fervent prayer. God honors those prayers. He hears them. And he always responds when we step out. 
I want to go back to the barrier that he makes for that woman. See, God will create a barrier or an obstacle in our lives that make us depend on him. He'll put something before you that requires you to draw more near to him. And if you're going through a storm or a trial and you're wondering why won't it stop, God just might love who you are becoming in that trial. This woman worships. God might love the worshiper that you're becoming. He, he might just want the prayer warrior that you've become to be permanent before he calms your sea. See, suddenly, when, what sometimes when God touches us, when we, when we go through a valley, we get pretty desperate for God. We start showing up at stuff more. We start showing up at prayer, right? We start showing up at every time the doors are open. Man, I better be here. I need God. Suddenly, you don't complain about the music and the, the preaching and doesn't take an evangelist to get you excited about coming to church. It's okay if the youth guy is speaking, amen. But God might keep you in that trial until those changes are permanent. See, Leviticus 6.13, my, my favorite passage in all of scripture says, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. God might want to bring you to the fire of the altar to purify you and change you. And I want to thank God for the storm that draws closer to him for the storms that he allows us to go through that bring me to the feet of the throne and make me more like him, that drag me back to the altar. I'm a bit of a testimony as we wrap up tonight. I've never experienced depression before 2020. And maybe that's not even appropriate to call it that. I don't mean to offend anybody. And it wasn't because of coronavirus the devil started to condemn me and attack me this past year in a way that I've never experienced before. And, and frankly, I've always been somewhat dismissive of depression. I can promise you I, I never will be again. There were points this past year that I, I have never felt so weak and hopeless, and I'm ashamed to say that there were, there were weeks on end that I would sleep every hour of the day that I could just so I didn't have to be awake and, and feel the condemnation and hopelessness that I was feeling. I lost 20 pounds. <laughs> didn't eat for weeks, and for those of you that know me and you know that's, that's not like me. Typically not one to miss a meal, let alone weeks. <laughs> but I, I felt like the widow that cried out to Elisha in my time of desperation. I called the man of God, I called the pastor desperately. Read a passage here from 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1, it tells us the story of this woman. It says, it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take, him, take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow, the, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and open thy son, and upon thy son, and thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. 
So she went from him and she shut the door upon her and upon her son who brought the vessels to her, notice the obedience, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil, pay the debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. If you look into this a bit, this this father and husband that had passed away was essentially a young prophet. He wasn't actually a son. He was a young prophet or a servant to the prophets in that time. Regardless of how you interpret it's a godly family that had the anointing in their home, that knew God. What's fascinating about this is that there's a pot of oil in that house already. What does oil represent in the Bible? Represents the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is already in that home. And Elisha reminded her of that, that she already had the oil, the Holy Ghost right there in her house. All she had to do was tap into it. The Holy Ghost is all you need. The oil is all you need in your time of trial. The question is, are you tapping into it? Are you grabbing vessels and getting at the feet of Jesus and ready for him to pour into you and pour into your life? The Holy Ghost is all you need. And that's what the pastor told me in my time of trial is to seek God, to get before him and pray continuously. I was blessed again this past summer. Some of you might remember it. But Pastor Steve Kiley preached a message on a Wednesday night virtually with no one here. And he talked about Bartimaeus and the way he cried out. And I can tell you that I sat on my couch <laughs> as we joke about in your comfy pants and your coffee or whatever, but I wept before God because it reminded me that if I just cried out that he could rescue me from anything, that he could deliver me from anything I was going through. And I can tell you today as a, a statement of victory that for the next few months, I got on my face before the Lord and I cried out obnoxiously at times probably made a fool of myself and probably looked weak and hopeless. But I needed Jesus to rescue me. I needed a touch from the Lord. And I'm not speaking against medication or therapy or professional remedies, but I hope to God that we don't try every physician's treatment before we bother crying out to the great physician. I, Brother Joel Zerpoli was, praise God. Brother Joel Zerpoli was here a few months ago and he talked about why does it always have to be a rescue mission? Why does it always have to be, I'm in my last hour, I'm not even gonna make it home before my daughter dies, I think I'll pray. <laughs> Praise God. We can get out of our routine often. It doesn't have to be a miracle need that gets us to do it. We get so used to the oil sometimes we forget its power. And young people, this is specific to you. I've told you this before, but I think sometimes the greatest threat that our young people face, and I'm thankful for the awesome families of Abundant Life. We, we, these guys come to us, they know their scripture, they have authority in the Holy Ghost, they are awesome young people. But sometimes I think we get so used to being around this when we were born into it. We get so accustomed to seeing miracles and seeing people get saved, we forget what God's capable of. We forget what the Holy Ghost can do in a time of desperation. You gotta step out, young people. It's not, it's not enough to show up for church. 
When I stepped out of my routine and my habits and started crying out, God immediately began to deliver me. He saved me from that depression. He began to change me. I have an insatiable hunger for the word that I've never had in my life before. I have a desire to be in the house of God every chance the doors are open. I've got a more consistent prayer life. I got a burden to see souls saved. God used a barrier to change me forever. Don't resent the barriers. Don't resent the storms. Don't resent when God is silent. Just keep on worshiping. Keep doing something different, doing more. Praise God. I'm getting repetitive. Why don't we stand tonight? Doing okay here. If it's okay to read one more passage of scripture, I just love the word of God. We could read one more passage. It's so powerful. And the, the youth students know this is one of my favorite passages. Luke chapter 7 and 36, it's the story of the sinner woman. It says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto them, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. She was saved because of how she stepped out in this dinner party. I imagine Jesus probably isn't necessarily excited to be at this Pharisee's house for dinner. That's an opinion. But she steps out, and she gets to his feet. And she's not, let me point this out, she's not dying physically. She, she doesn't have cancer. She doesn't have a disease Bible doesn't say she's in a financial ruin. But she's a sinner. So much so that there's a reputation that precedes her. She's stuck in a life of sin. 
and potentially eternal damnation. She, maybe she's got addictions. Maybe she's got tendencies that she hasn't been able to overcome. Might have an anger problem. Right? Might have problems with relationships. She might, she might have any type of sin, that uh, drunkenness, who knows what it is. The Bible doesn't specify. We just know that she is a sinner. And if we've got something in our lives that we just can't get over, it doesn't have to be a disease. It doesn't have to be something we were diagnosed with. How much have you persisted in prayer and worship? How fervently have we prayed for God to change us to be more like him? And, and let me say this too. If you just need to be saved for the very first time, if you just need God to change your life, to write you in the book of life. How hard have we sought God? Have you asked someone to pray for you? Have you stepped out? No matter how embarrassed you might become, no matter how terrifying it might be, to have people surrounding you and praying with you, are you willing to step out so that God can change your life forever? What works have we done to make our faith perfect? That's all I got tonight. I'd like to have us open the altar and let, let's come to God and ask him what he wants us to do. What he wants us to do differently. How we can know him more. How we can draw closer to him. And, and the needs in our life. If Anyone that says they have no need, you're, you're kidding yourself. There's lost loved ones. There is sickness. There's sins that haven't been overcome. There's people in our very church family. How great is it to have a church family? It, it kills me that so many of the world don't know that joy. But there's people that have needs in this congregation. There's people that need God to do something miraculous when no other physician could fix it, when no other remedy worked. But have we given God a chance? Have we given God a chance to do the miraculous? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful for the altar. I'm so grateful, Jesus, for the ability to come to the Holy of Holies, to call you by name, and God, to have the faith that you are a healer and that you are a miracle worker, and that God, you can change us in the very blink of an eye, in the very hour that we cry out. Oh Lord, I pray that you would. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.